Hello and welcome to the Motown Philly Podcast. I am Tim Golden here with my co-host. What up, though? Jason Hall. Jason Hall. <laughs> that what that what up though, I understand like is is a is a Detroit-based colloquialism. What up, a though? Detro- a Detroit-based colloquial greeting. And yes. Jason is the Motown in Motown Philly. And your boy, Tim Golden, yours truly, is the Philly in Motown Philly, and we are back with episode 14 wow. of the Motown Philly podcast. One, four. Wow. Can't believe it, Jason. We just keep rolling on. Our aim is to be consistent and deliver you outstanding content on communication, connection, and community. That's what we're about here at Motown Philly, and we could not be good communicators if no one was listening. So I'm just grateful. I know Jason is grateful for everybody who tunes in and makes us part of your lives. I just I just want to say thank you so much. It's such a blessing for me to know that as folk go about their day or as they just sit and listen, as they make time for us, because time is the one thing that we can't get back. Time is the one thing we don't have enough of. And so when someone gives us their time, Jason, it just makes me rejoice. And what a privilege it is to be able to have such a fine listening audience. And so I'm thankful, Jason, and I know you want to express your gratitude too. No, yes. I mean, always, always grateful, always thankful for you guys tuning in. Some of you guys reach out and let us know uh, either through, you know, even that same week, Sometimes even that same day, we get we get shout outs from friends, family, even. And just to hear that, y'all don't even understand how we Tim and I, we get like you said, we rejoice. There's some delight in that. And it some affirmation as to what we're doing is really special, uh, not just to us, because we think what we're doing is different and and special in the light that not too many people, not too many men, specifically men of color, are doing what we're doing. And we know it's it is resonating with the people who reach out to us and let us know the work that we're doing and how we're doing it and the impact it's making on individuals. And we believe that this particular episode will be um one of those one of those great ones, one of those good ones. Um yeah, because just because Tim, Tim, Tim will unfold it. I don't want to, I want to, I want you guys to hang in there and listen a little bit longer uh, as, as, as we build up to, to what we're going to talk about today. Yes. Again, I just want to echo Jason and say that we are so grateful to you. So please keep listening. Please subscribe to our podcast so that you get the notif- the upload notifications and make sure that you share on your social media platforms with your friends. Use the hashtag Motown Philly. And as Jason said, this episode, episode 14, is going to be a little bit different. Last week, we looked at politics and communication. And today, we are taking a look at religion and communication. And when Jason and I had our conversation about this topic, what we decided was that 
religion and communication is such a broad topic that it would be best presented in this podcast format in the form of something that would make it both a manageable topic and a relatable topic. And so we thought nothing makes topics manageable and relatable quite like a story. Stories make things manageable because rather than talk about the rarefied theoretical air of concepts, we get to share something concrete. And that concreteness of a story also makes the topic more relatable. And so today, rather than have a conversation, which is what you usually hear, we have decided to put our money where our mouth is and share a story that will require one of us to be vulnerable and to exhibit a high level of self-awareness. And those are the two things that we have talked about here throughout our episodes. I think episode two was on vulnerability and communication. And one of our, one of our installments on emotional intelligence had to do with self-awareness. And because we practice what we preach here at Motown Philly, Jason has graciously and enthusiastically, I might add, agreed to share his story with you about religion and communication and specifically how religion has affected communication, connection, and community in his own life. Wow, Jason, just wow. Thank you. Thank you for agreeing to be so transparent and vulnerable with us today. And I just want you to know on behalf of our listeners how much we appreciate what you are going to do today and how grateful we are in advance before even hearing your story that that you have a story and that you are willing to share it. So thank you, thank you, and a thousand times thank you, Jason. We appreciate you. We acknowledge you. And I know our listening audience doesn't know you the way I do, so they may not be able to say it, although after today's episode, they probably will. But I do know you, and I can say I love you. So I am I am blessed to have you here today and look forward to it. So love what we're going to thank you. Thank you, Jason. Much appreciated. What we're going to do is since we're dealing with religion and communication, we're going to, and we're talking about the application of concepts like self-awareness and vulnerability. Jason and I thought it would be a good idea to have as a segue to his story, some insights from one who was self-aware at a young age and vulnerable throughout his entire life. One who was a master communicator, both orally and in writing. I speak of none other than the literary giant of the 20th century that is 
James Baldwin. And what I'm going to do today is begin with some insights that James Baldwin has in the context of religion and communication that are found in his essay, The Fire Next Time. The Fire Next Time. So without further ado, let's turn to The Fire Next Time. And I am reading from the essay of that title. And there is a section of that essay titled Down at the Cross. And I'm going to skip over a little bit and then I'm going to turn it over to Jason. Again, James Baldwin will provide the context for religion and communication insofar as it affected his communication, his connection, and his community. And that will be the segue for Jason sharing his story. So in the fire next time, James Baldwin writes, and I'm quoting, the church was very exciting. It took a long time for me to disengage myself from this excitement. And on the blindest, most visceral level, I never really have and never will. There is no music like that music, no drama like the drama of the saints rejoicing, the sinners moaning, the tambourines racing, and all those voices coming together and crying holy unto the Lord. There is still, for me, no pathos quite like the pathos of those multicolored, worn, somehow triumphant and transfigured faces speaking from the depths of a visible, tangible, continuing despair of the goodness of the Lord. I have never seen anything to equal the fire and excitement that sometimes, without warning, fill a church, causing the church, as so many others have testified, to rock. Nothing that has happened to me since equals the power and the glory that I sometimes felt when, in the middle of a sermon, I knew that I was somehow, by some miracle, really carrying, as they said, the word when I and the church were one. Their pain and their joy were mine, and mine were theirs. They surrendered their pain and joy to me. I surrendered mine to them, and their cries of amen and hallelujah and yes, Lord, and praise his name, and preach it, brother, sustained and whipped on my solos until we all became equal, ringing wet, singing and dancing in anguish and rejoicing at the foot of the altar. Now, what James Baldwin has just described here, I'm no longer reading, is a mode of communication within the church, a mode of communication in the church that I would call poetic rather than propositional. Nobody is interested when they go to church in explanations about what they believe God has done for them. In fact, the pull of the church is that you can't explain 
what God has done. And the only language you have remaining is a language that is poetic in nature rather than propositional. So there's a lot of shouting. There's a lot of incoherence, incoherent uh, statements being made, things that don't make sense. But that, in some sense, is the nature of worship. Now, here's where things kind of take a turn for James Baldwin, because James Baldwin was a preacher and in his church as a young boy. And I want to begin this next reading from him with the sense of self-awareness that starts to develop in him as he realizes that despite the euphoria of his church experience, something may be wrong. And this is what he says. Being in the pulpit was like being in the theater. I was behind the scenes and knew how the illusion was worked. I knew the other ministers and knew the quality of their lives. And I don't mean to suggest by this the sort of hypocrisy concerning sensuality. It was a deeper, deadlier, and more subtle hypocrisy than that. And a little honest sensuality, or a lot, would have been like water in an extremely bitter desert. I knew how to work on a congregation until the last dime was surrendered. It was not very hard to do, and I knew where the money for the Lord's work went. I knew, though I did not wish to know it, that I had no respect for the people with whom I worked. I could not have said it then, but I also knew that if I continued, I would soon have no respect for myself. And the fact that I was, quote, the younger brother Baldwin increased my value with those same pimps and racketeers who had helped to stampede me into the church in the first place. They still saw the little boy they intended to take over. They were waiting for me to come to my senses and realize that I was in a very lucrative business. They knew that I did not yet realize this and also that I had not yet begun to suspect where my own needs could drive me. They themselves did know the score and they knew that the odds were in their favor. And really, I knew it too. I was even lonelier and more vulnerable than I had been before. And the blood of the lamb had not cleansed me in any way, whatever. I was just as black as I had been the day that I was born. Therefore, when I faced a congregation, it began to take all the strength I had not to stammer, not to curse, not to tell them to throw away their Bibles and get off their knees and go home and organize. For example, a rent strike. When I watched all the children, their copper, brown, and beige faces staring up at me as I taught Sunday school, I felt that I was committing a crime 
in talking about the gentle Jesus, in telling them to reconcile themselves to their misery on earth in order to gain the crown of eternal life. James Baldwin on religion and communication and Jason, how does this resonate with your experience? I thought I've thought long and hard about how to present especially after coming uh, or following up after a reading as such. Tim, and Tim, you and I, we often um, look at the work of James, of James Baldwin and how he has conducted himself since he was very young and his level of self-awareness at such a young age in that particular essay, um, he was talking about what he was actually thinking about at the ripe young age of 14. And having him consider those things at such a young age and coming to the realization of those things at such a young age about what was going on in the house of God and then later articulating those things allows us to see his level of awareness when it comes to what he was doing and how it was contributing to the lives of others. And it, it goes deeper because he didn't only think about what he was doing himself and also considering, empathizing, if you will, how that was affecting other people, he then took action to make decisions in his life that would, at the ripe young age of 14, steer him away from the pulpit because he knew then at that, at that age that if he were to continue um, down that road of perdition, so to speak, it would be detrimental to him he would probably no longer know himself find himself respect himself as you had well read and let alone the people he was actually serving so that was something that in you know the conversations that you and i often have about james as we muse over his work work often because we do because he was such a great intellect he was very self-aware of who he was at a very young age. And those type of people I marvel at, just absolutely marvel at. And then have the brave courage to change, change paths or change direction to start making decisions at an early age that would, in a lot of ways, write the paths for them, for him to start, you know, later on affecting the world as we know him now. Just think um, if he never changed, if he never really, if he sat in what he was doing and never changed, we may not know James Baldwin um, and the great work that he has 
put in um, or has left for us, if you will, to this very day. We talked about him, you and I, Tim, as if he was still here, still living, because his work still lives on. So as you invited me to this conversation or this talk or story, I want to encourage you to have to still continue dialogue with me as I as I flesh out this story that I have to tell about religion and communication. Uh, Just go for it. So, yeah, Jason. So a, a couple of points. One is that James Baldwin he he seems to concede a certain mode of communication to the church that he believes is extremely powerful. Mm-hmm. He speaks early on from the first passage I've read of the, the deep pathos of the church mm, right. and the deep sense in which the church, particularly the African-American church, is is so uh, deeply embedded in a certain sort of mysticism Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. about religion, specifically about Christianity, that it has a lasting impact on you Mm -hmm. and that that impact can be an impact for good. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, he seemed to discern Again, as you nicely put it, at the tender age of 14, he was able to discern that there was something inauthentic about his mode of communication as a preacher because it was being done simply to extract money from the people. Mm. Yeah. And and I can't help but think that that level of moral discernment is what led him to the reality that a departure from his church right would n- not necessarily be a departure from god but would be a step toward god yeah definitely and and that is something that we often get confused we often confuse in Christian communities, at least, we often conflate the church with God as if God and the church exactly. are one and the same. Exactly. And, and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about your experiences with communication and religion in light of these insights from James Baldwin. Yes, um, very good. My story relates to James Baldwin in similar ways to how he thought and felt. My story starts off as being growing up in the church from the time that I can remember. Like, I cannot remember when there was a time that I was not going to church. My mom was a devout Christian. And my dad, he attended church, um, let's say sometime around funerals and maybe some Easter's. Uh, this is definitely not to disparage my dad. That's just kind of who kind of who he was. Um, I believe he believed in God uh, at an early age, but he was going through his his own type of walk. So 
growing up in church, being emerged, uh, emerged in ch- the church setting, I too felt that pathos of, and I didn't know it. I didn't know it like James did, but I only became more aware of it as I grew older, that there was a, there was a, an emotional sentiment to the church that definitely had its good. And if to know anything uh, just about how like the laws of the, the universe works, like there is one side and then there's another side of something. And to understand that there was, there's also where there's present or is, there's some feeling of, of good emotion. There's also a feeling that uh, of, of when you step back and look at that, there is a, there can be easily a lack of earnest and as you put it, authentic discernment as to what is going on in the situation that you call church. Um, I grew up as a Seventh Day Adventist all of my life. And if anyone's listening who's familiar with that faith and that belief, uh, there are there are um, overtones of a more strict or moral uh, over and undertones of how one should live and that living should be on display, if you will, of course, as a as a Christian, that the mindset or if you will, for lack of a better word, these are uh, the zeitgeist, if you will, like what is the way of the church? And I was in a lot of ways, religion was was that 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 was something that I identified with with myself. So it was like a three person type deal that were one package. It was me. It was God and religion. And if I'm honest, it was I it was God first or and or religion and then myself. Or maybe it was religion first. You know, I think those were competing factors in my life and then God and then myself. And as I grew older, and if I'm honest, Tim, probably over the last seven, five to seven years, things started to change inside of me slowly to where I started to have more realizations of the mode of how the church move, the thought, if the general the, or the corporate thought. And I started to, to you know, have what I, th- what I thought were honest questions about what, who am I, first of all? And I think life starts when we know who we are. And then how do I relate to this thing called church? And one thing that I started to do as I began to search inside myself, I needed to understand which one came first. Was it God or religion or was it religion or God? And I, and I believe over these last, like I said, five to seven years, I really started to understand that God really trumped my relationship. My relationship with God really trumped what religion actually was to me. And as I began to walk down that road, I felt comfortable and I felt 
I knew that that path was a good and healthy path as well. One of my guiding plumb lines or compasses that I have in my life that I've gathered over the last five to seven years was what is healthy? Like healthiness versus something that is dysfunctional or toxic helps to guide me as to what God is saying in my life. Because as you and I well know, and maybe it's not so understood, but you put it, you put it very eloquently. Um, what is moral doesn't necessarily equal what is religious, what is religious or what is church. And I started, as I began to ascertain the difference between God and religion, I started to walk down the path of God and found that there was less judgment and found that there was less self-doubt and found that there was, there was more assurance, if you will, uh, less guilt, if you will, that came directly from God about life and lifestyle and things that happen in this world and that was happening in, in the world around me. And from that, I found, I found a, a level of peace. I think the guiding light of who God is and his relationship to us is very spiritual. And if you really connect with that, you connect with peace. So you have health, you have peace, you have these things that are really channeling my way forward, if you will, walking in the light, if you will, that had more to do with who God was and less to do with what religion was. And we can talk about what 2020 really did in my life to really open up the blinders, if you will, about what religion um my relation to religion and God and how we communicate. It's, it's just funny. I don't want none of, I don't want any of us to lose the fact of whether it's James Baldwin or myself or Tim, or even as you listen to this, there's always communication going on. And that communication is what, what is what is something that Tim and I talk about often and a lot. And it's very fundamental to who we are. And that's the communication. That's the dialogue that we are having with ourselves consistently, continually. But as I think it's paramount for us to begin to listen to that dialogue consistently and continually and start to make the understandings uh, and the, even the decisions that come along with those realizations like James did at 14 to make life altering or life guiding, if you will, decisions that helps us to be in a more healthier and peaceful place as opposed to dysfunction and unhealth. Jason, you said something a moment ago, and I want to I want to unpack this and go a little deeper okay. with it. It seems that at the core of your journey is a distinction that you made between God and religion, but you didn't just make a distinction. You assigned a priority yes. to one over the other. Yes. God, God over religion, if I understand you correctly. Yes. And so what I want to do is go back to a quote from James Baldwin. Mm -hmm. And this is also in the fire next time. And, and this is what he says. He says, 
the Christian church itself, again, as distinguished from some of its ministers, sanctified and rejoiced in the conquests of the flag and encouraged if it did not formulate the belief that conquest with the resulting relative well-being of the Western populations was proof of the favor of God. God had come a long way from the desert, but then so had Allah, though in a very different direction. God going north and rising on the wings of power had become white, and Allah out of power and on the dark side of heaven had become for all practical purposes anyway, black. Thus, in the realm of morals, even the role of Christianity had been at best ambivalent. Even leaving out of account the remarkable arrogance that assumed that the ways and morals of others were inferior to those of Christians and that they therefore had every right and could use any means to change them, the collision between cultures and the schizophrenia in the mind of Christendom had rendered the domain of morals as chartless as the sea once was and as treacherous as the sea still is. Oh, wow. it is. It is not too much to say that whoever wishes to become a truly moral being and let us not ask whether or not this is possible, I think we must believe that it is possible, must first divorce himself from all the prohibitions, crimes, and hypocrisies of the Christian church. If the concept of God has any validity or any use, it can only be to make us larger, freer, and more loving. If if God cannot do this, then it is time we got rid of him. Wow. 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 You talked about the difference between God and religion, and I think James Baldwin here is doing something strikingly similar. Yeah. How how does this how does this play into your story, Jason? Well, I I I believe like I mentioned in 2020 everybody's kind of stopped going to church. Let's just go right to it. I mean, we all didn't go to work. A lot of us, we all didn't go to the store. A lot of us, and most of all, those who are in religion and call themselves Christians, they, we had needed to stop coming together and going to church. And w my story is that during that time, like a lot of us, we were, we were often um, on the internet and looking at the world through the windows, if you will, of the internet. And I had a lot of time to study. I saw the world and especially our Western world and society meet politics, meet religion, meet civil justice, uh, meet they, there was like a crossroad and because I couldn't go out and play in the streets or be distracted by what I would do in the streets, go to church and do the routine. I was really able to start looking more as to what happens when these things intersect and what does, what does religion do, particularly my religion do 
when when this when these things come to collide. And me personally, my story is that I didn't necessarily like what I saw, what religion did. And and particularly my church did and how it was how it responded to specifically um, civil justice in our country. And then I started to do some digging. Jason, I'm guessing that the murder of George Floyd and it's the viral nature of that video played a role in what you're describing Definitely. now. Is, is that is that right? Totally. Could you could you could you speak to that, please? I remember like everyone did where I was when I found out about it and my learning about it. And one of the things that I wanted to do during that specific time is to understand what people who, who were supposed to be like me in religion, what was their response to what was going on? What was my church's response to what was going on? What happened for the first time in our modern age, everyone had to look in the mirror. So I needed to look in the mirror. Tim, you needed to look in the mirror. My my close family and friends needed to look. Society needs to look in the mirror. And so did the church. And after, you know, gazing into the mirror for myself, I had a second or two to look up and say, what are what are my what are my fellow um, Christians doing and saying? about this and there are just many things that I saw in our in our church that wasn't really apropos to say the least to really when these things that happened so blatantly and openly and publicly happened to George Floyd and even Breonna Taylor and it was a snowball bro you know um not to forget our our man um um, Amir, I forget his last name, but the runner who was running in um, Georgia, what's his name, Tim? Uh, he passed away because he was jogging, and just yes. our response was 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 horrible as a church that I that I saw, both collectively and things that you would read on Facebook from people who sit in the same pews as you did, and it's just like. So then you start doing a deeper research of, of my particular church and where, where its roots and you progress and go forward to the civil rights movement and what my church was doing during that time. And then you start looking at this is not me coming at my church because I'm not mad at my church. My church is, is and what it, what it kind of always has been. It's just me coming to this awareness and this awakening you generalize it to kind of what you were talking about specifically Christianity, like Christianity here, as we know it definitely in the Western world. And even before it came here has been broken. Like, like we as African-Americans were brought here under the guise of, of a Christian, Christian, Christian ideology. And we were put to work uh, as slaves and, that was often preached to us and sanctioned by God. Uh, there's a couple of things, Jason. The 
black man who was killed while jogging in Atlanta is Ahmed Arbery. Appreciate you. And the name of the first slave ship was called the Good Ship Jesus. So I'll just I'll just let that I'll just let that rest in everyone's spirit. Bro, but please please continue, Jason. So when you learn, begin to learn stuff about the the etiology of where things come from uh, and understand where Jesus and the the practice religion of this day and age here on this earth and how things were were in a lot of ways couched for a certain type of people and understanding that you live in America and there's two Americas, not just one, like coming to that realization, it all just hit me. And as I was saying it, it it's, this is not just against my religion. It just helped me see all religion in a similar vein, especially as I said, when we talk about Western culture and Christianity and where it came from, and the level of corruptness at many levels, just as James was talking about. James is a, was only talking about a facet, right? A facet of his church and Christianity and what he saw. And he chose not to, to, and he was happy in a lot of ways not to deal with the, or have to expound about the sensuality that can befall individuals who are overseers of the pulpit, right? And it's just like, so he only saw and chose to bring out one particular aspect of, 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 of a poor congregation and him having the ability because of his oration skills, speaking skills to extract almost every fine penny out of them as they went back into their own domiciles and began to live as they came to, you know, he understood that it was, there was a violation that he chose never to do again. And for me, and particularly with uh, uh, 2020 and afterwards, I am sitting here in a profession to say that I am no longer like I was growing up. I don't go around uh, telling people that I am no longer Christian, but Christian, from what I know of it, is can be cringy. It's a cringy word for me. I might say more so because I understand my connection of who God is and say that I'm a Jesus follower. That sounds more comfortable to who I am because it kind of disassociates me with the ideology of how religion, even though they're trying to find their way out of it, there's so much more to dig out of how religion has been couched and Christianity here in this, in this country and at large, like, it's just better for me to say I'm, uh, I, I'm a Jesus follower. And that just means I follow the God of who I am learning on a daily basis and who and who he is to me. But I, I believe I can safely say uh, that I am no longer a seventh day Adventist in a lot of ways, uh, as far as my principal ideology of how I grew up. And I'm okay with that. Like, um, uh, in a lot of ways, still my friends, some of my core friends are Seventh-day Adventists and, and call themselves to be Christian. Some of your, some of your, some of your core friends, I mean, that would include me, True. but but some of your core friends are Seventh-day Adventists 
pastors, aren't they? Oh, definitely. Oh, uh, did now, I? How, how has has your so has your relationship with because you have several friends who are very very well known influential figures within Seventh Day Adventism. So how mm -hmm. has your so let me ask you two questions. First, has your change in your self-identification affected a change in your relationship with your friends who are members of the Adventist clergy? Okay. And if, if so, how? Okay. So... I wouldn't say that that my relationship has fundamentally changed because if I'm calling these individuals that you spoke about uh, friends, I, I believe like you, it goes and it can go a lot deeper than just mere friends. These are brothers. And some way, somehow, I remember growing up as a young adult, I remember praying a prayer that had nothing to do necessarily with religion had more to do with relationship and uh, being to a getting to a place where I know that my my heart, my mind, my soul is going to be okay when I breathe my last breath, and that I would be on what I believe the uh, the heaven side of the of uh, of of the um, outcome when it when I die. And it, that prayer was, Lord, place me around individuals, men, uh, brothers who could who would usher me and we can usher each other into a space in a place where heaven would be our final home. And that was that was my prayer, my my humble prayer, my naive prayer, but maybe in some way, some type of insightful prayer to know that it wasn't connected to religion it was connected to brotherhood and this is what you and I share and you have a devout faith in God that even trumps religion, though you are um, Adventist and Christianity is something that you too work out on a daily basis based on just what we know and my relationship with these individuals because of, there's a brotherhood. I think brotherhood in a lot of ways trumps religion as well. Like there's just some really authentic things in life that trumps what religion is, because when we look at religion in its totality and what it, what it has done over the history of religion, it has created some good things. But boy, oh boy, it has also created some really devastating, detrimental things to our society, to several countries and worlds and, and where and started what has started wars. And these things can't be overlooked as far as how religion has made its stamp on this world. And me, in a lot of ways, distancing myself from that, I don't think God frowns that frowns down upon at all based on what that is. So the brotherhood that I have is still strong, bro. It's still strong. They love me and I love them and we we get down still. That is very powerful, Jason. You know, you articulated a principle that scripture embodies and i just want to read from first john chapter 4 verse 20 verses 20 and 21 
It says, if a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. Here is part of the problem with religion and communication. I think sometimes, Jason, and I want you to chime in on this because I want you to relate your experiences to this question. I want to see what you think about this and how you're feeling about this. Religious folk, whether they be Christian, Islamic, Jewish, whatever the case may be, sometimes forget that the ethical and moral imperatives of their religion have no significance apart from concrete human relationships. None, none whatsoever. So don't tell me about your spirituality in scare quotes when your relationships with the people in your life have gone to pot. Right. Totally. You can't be a good Christian and a bad friend. It's mm. good. You can't be a good Christian and a bad sibling. You can't be a good Christian and a bad neighbor. If you are a good Christian, you will be a good friend. You will be a good sibling. You will be a good neighbor. And so we have found a way to separate the moral imperatives of religious practice from our concrete human relationships. And so there's a lot of people in churches, for example, in Christianity, who will have a great relationship in their estimation with God, again, in scare quotes, but all of the relationships in their life broken are broken. I am highly suspicious of anyone who claims to have a relationship with God on one hand, but has awful relationships with the people in their life on the other. How, how has that insight affected your relationships? Because you, you said something that was really powerful. You said that your brotherhood with your friends who are pastors has trumped any notion of religion. And I think that's as it should be. So can you, can you tell us yeah, yeah. what, what is it about how has your re how has the reconception of your identity from Christian to Jesus follower affected the way that you communicate with and the relationships with others in your life. Good, Jim. That's, 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 that's just good stuff right there. Uh, as I try to focus on your question, it kind of pulls me back just a, just a little bit to kind of look at the Bible in a different way. And that's probably how I've been looking at it more 
lately over the last several years. I, I think if you really think about the Bible and its true core principles and even the, the life of Jesus, Jesus doesn't promote religion. He like his 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 ideas and, and the way he walked and what he said, it wasn't it never really focused on what man or what men often focused on. He if you read his his readings in the gospel, he often came against the religious. He often came against the 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 scholarly theologians of that time. And went to the principle of relationships. And it just lends way to make me understand or have me to feel in a way that some, somehow man has co-opted Christianity and branded it more of what they've wanted to be, of course. And the same with religion. They are lumped together and they've gotten so much away from who Christ is and who he was when he was here and one who oft as one who often came against religion. And as I think now about what you, your question is or was, I really think about how people who have, who haven't stepped foot in church edifices or buildings, they, they are, Learn people who are not churched, if you will, who value relationships, who 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 love in relationships, who have compassion and empathy in relationships, and they have intentions to do well in relationships. Like those are the people among us, I believe, are the most godliest, bro. I just and I believe that is something that I'm truly trying myself to walk in and it's not governed by a religious tone if you will or undertone or overtone of these what i call sometimes the zeitgeist of religion especially that in which i grew up in it's more governed by who god is and how well am i treating my brother my sister am i handling them with care am i apologizing am i Am I rectifying or coming to resolutions as best I can outside of myself to to be in a way that is not self to be in the best way that is not self-serving, but it can be other centered in the most healthiest way possible. And I truly believe whether you're tatted up or you, you even curse or swear or do certain things that don't look and sound religious those can often be the most religious, the most, the most godly among us because they truly understand the heart of the individual. They truly understand the power of relationships and the salvific nature, if you will, of relationships, the redeeming quality of what relationships is, the, the support and love that you can get from true and honest relationships. Like, as you can hear the fervor in my voice as I speak about what religion or what or what God is and 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 love is and how we should be in relationship as George Floyd lay dying for nine minutes and we and we as a as a collective body can only give certain epithets and saying and in words and not necessarily actions or 
heartfelt, uh, heartfelt like change in direction as a corporate body. If you're thinking about Christianity, I just definitely believe that you know Christianity was branded was rebranded by man right after. It's like you know Christ left this earth, and let's we're gonna co-opt his name, and we're gonna make it. We're going to brand it and we're going to brand it and we're going to sell it and we're going to and we're going to 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 and and religions will spark will sprout out from it and we'll do what we can with it. And it's just it's and it's from that point, maybe it wasn't as true as intention. But when you try to put God in a box, he can't stay there. He don't stay there. He's not going to stay there. And he wasn't meant to stay there. And I think the writing is on the wall if you look at scriptures easily to understand that that was never God's position for himself and never really his position for us when you really search and dig about what is love and who God is and how we should be to to others. So relationships and brotherhood, those things are becoming easy to me because I'm looking at God and seeing what he did and showing up for myself first so and so I can be my best self and my most healthiest self and trying to show up for you, trying to show up for the individual. That is very powerful, Jason. It reminds me of the statement from the Jewish philosopher Emmanuel Levinas in his in one of his masterful works, Totality and Infinity, he says, and I'm paraphrasing, God rises to his supreme presence according to the justice rendered among men. Mm. That if, if, if you want to see God, you have to look to relationships to see him. Wow. That there is a sense in which God collapses into the face of the other person so that when I look at you, I see God. Yeah. And when you look at me, I see God and yeah. you, you see the you see God in me. And this is not a sort of idolatrous right. move to the point where all of us become omniscient. I'm the benevolent. I'm the present. That's not what we're talking about. It is a moral move that mimics the incarnation. What did God do in order to show humanity how to live according to the Christian story? He became human. He, his divinity collapsed into humanity. And the face of God became the face of a poor carpenter from Nazareth turned itinerant preacher who was born in a smelly stable to a teen mother with a bad reputation and no health insurance. That's the reality. That's the reality of who Jesus was. And for God to collapse into the face of those with whom we are in relationship says a lot about what God expects of us True. in our lives, in our relational lives. So what I'm hearing, Jason, then, is that your your experiences with religion have seemed to lead you to a much more authentic space in which you have relationship with God 
mediated through relationships with the people in your life. Yeah. Yes, a hundred, a hundred percent. Um, yeah. It's, and, it's, and 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 that that is actually that is actually I think the life if you're a Christian the life that God intends us to live. You said something else, Jason, and then uh, we're gonna we're gonna bring this to a close. But I just want to thank you again for being so vulnerable and open and self aware and. If we were live, I would do an earth, wind, and fire and say his story was so beautiful. Don't you agree? You know, I would I would say that to the audience. But I, I just say it to y'all, and as you listen, you can you can raise your hand and shout hallelujah and exhibit that marvelous pathos that James Baldwin talked about mm-hmm. from from the black church. But I, I, I like what you said about being a Jesus follower rather than a Christian, because it reminds me of one of my favorite philosophers. Uh, He's a Christian philosopher named Soren Kierkegaard. He lived in the 19th century in Denmark, in Copenhagen, and he refused to refer to himself as a Christian. He said, I am becoming a Christian. I am in the process of becoming a Christian. And when I listen to your story and the power behind it, I can't help but think that you have gone from someone who was inauthentically communicating with those in his life to a much more authentic mode of communication where you are much more attentive to relationships in the concrete level rather than committed to God on an abstract level. And when you call yourself a Jesus follower, I can't help but think that in the spirit of Kierkegaard, what you are telling us is that yes you believe in jesus and yes you are following him and yes you are in the process of becoming a christian and you're doing it through a much more authentic level of communication and connection with the people in your life and you are thus building stronger and stronger communities with these people true man that's that's so good man it it is I just think as you were saying that that resonates so deep within it's it just it can when you think about just, you know, when you're reflective and you think about your journey and you think about your your walk to the point in which we are today, I, I just believe that being true to that authentic voice still a small voice that rings true like you have to yearn for that inner dialogue and connection and i and i believe when you're there you're in the you're in your most spiritual space because you i believe you you get to listen to this that voice of god in its most earnest ways i believe the pathos of the church the negative pathos of the church can not allow one to dig deep and to have truly pure and discerning thoughts like a James Baldwin did. So amazing that he did that at that age. But you have you can't have these these thoughts that you're where you're divorcing your feelings 
and not paying attention to them and then learning how to process them so that you can come into a place of enlightenment and a place of of discernment to say what is good and what or and or what is healthy because what is happy won't always make you healthy so having the the joyous resounding anthems of a church that can be a happy place and that could be a source of a source where one could come to find that emotional lift because there is a type there can be a type of joy there um, or happiness there but you have to con- I think you have to get to a level of conscious awareness where to under to that you might understand what is healthy what is what is good in that sense of what is healthy like and ignoring your feelings or being happy should never trump those feelings of of coming to yourself if you will and recognizing other uh spiritual tones or other emotions or other you know ideations of what is right and what is wrong because like you said morality and and the church or morality and christianity or morality and and religion bro they just don't equal the same and growing up my differences is learning is learning that key point right there and that is that is an epiphany that is a point of enlightenment to say that whoa religion and church are and morality don't line up and now it's like hitting myself in the head like no they don't duh that's right that's right morality uh the morality the way that god understands it is perfectly consistent with the christian religion Mm -hmm. But we have separated religion from relationship. And because we have separated our religion from relationship, we have done this. We have committed the same sin as when one separates sex from love or when one separates ethics from politics. Politics, We said that last week, right? So human beings like to separate what God intends to be together. And in some sense, Jason, I think the struggle of life is the struggle to reunite what has been parted. The struggle, the struggle of every man, of every man that lives in a culture that is hypersexual, that is hypersexualized, is to not give in to the temptation to separate sex from love. Mm -hmm. The struggle of every black man and woman, uh, for example, Mm -hmm. in America is to reunite ethics with politics because justice is a combination of both. And as we said last week, when you separate politics from ethics, you are headed down the road to injustice and oppression. So here we are not only as men, seeking to reunify sex with love because we have a spiritual sensibility, but because we have that same spiritual sensibility, we also want to reunite ethics with politics in the interest of justice. And here we are this week talking about the glorious reunion through the powerful story that you shared of your own journey of religion with relationship. 
you can disconnect religion from relationship if you want, but all you're going to be left with is an empty moral framework that is the breeding ground for hypocrisy. Mm. Exactly the kind of hypocrisy that drove James Baldwin out of his church when he was just 14 years old. So, folks, I, I don't know about you. I wish we had an applause sound effect. I would give Jason all the applause in the world. Brother, I love you, and I'm grateful for your testimony. I'm grateful for your influence in my life. You are a blessing to me. If you have folks in your life who, I mean, I'm sure there's somebody out there listening who knows someone. If you are a religious person, doesn't matter what religion you are. Mm -hmm. It could be Islam, it could be Judaism, it could be Christianity. But if your religion separates itself from human relationships, maybe it's time to rethink your religion. Let's have the strength to go out there and, as Jason did, the courage to reunite religion with relationship because the two belong together. Jason, where can they find you? Yo, you guys can find me on Instagram at The Speaker's Mechanic, and you can find me on Facebook at Jason Hall, Twitter, Jason Hall Speaks. Yo, Tim, what do they find you at, bro? You can find me on Instagram at A Good Golden Man. You can find me on Twitter at DRTJ Golden ESQ. And three things in life for certain, death taxes, and I am the only black man in Walla Walla, Washington named Tim Golden. You can find me on Facebook, Tim Golden, comma, Walla Walla. You'll see me there. The city's so nice they had to say it twice. 14 episodes in, Jason, and next week we will be talking about social media and communication. Buckle up, folks. We're headed into the holidays with some good topics, and we look forward to coming to you next week. Who knows, Jason? Maybe after folk chow down on all that turkey before they get too much of a tryptophan effect, maybe there'll be maybe somebody will be sitting around listening to Motown Philly if they don't have. If they don't have that itis. Yeah, if they don't have the itis, maybe y'all will be listening to Motown Philly on Turkey Day. True. Jason and I love y'all. Thank y'all for being part of our lives. Thank you for making us part of yours. And God bless you all. You will hear from us again next week. Much love, folks.